0: Memorial Day, just one other, other way that we, we have the opportunity to, to, no matter who we're around, because you never know, you never know God what God will do with who you're around. You never know how God has been getting somebody ready for what he maybe intends to do through you with them. You never know how God would use the least likely of us toward the least likely people around us. In effect, that's the book of Jonah, isn't it? You know, Jonah has something for us. Jonah has something for us in the midst of this Currents and Bridges series, which is taking things that are currently going on and using them as a bridge for the gospel. Like Memorial Day, setting an alarm, Tom's still working on his, that Alarm goes off and you can use that. Maybe you're with somebody that that's an unexpected opportunity to say something about who you're remembering. Both military and spiritually. Well, the problem with bridges is bridges are often unwilling. We're we're hesitant To say something. We're we're hesitant or reticent. We're reluctant to speak up. Not for the same reason as Jonah. Jonah, well, I'm not going to give away next week. But our reason is different than Jonah in that we don't think God's going to do anything. At best, we think, I could pour out my heart. I could share something precious to me. And at best, nobody will care. Or maybe... It'll get thrown back in my face. Maybe they'll ridicule me because I believe that. And they reject it out of hand. So we're reluctant to say anything. We're reluctant to build that bridge because we don't think anything will come of it. But Jonah chapter 3 tells us a different story. Jonah chapter chapter 3 shows that God will use the most unexpected messenger among the least likely kinds of people. And, and you don't know what God's been doing in the background, and you don't know what God will do. Everybody in the story is amazed at what God does in Jonah chapter 3. And our problem is we've heard it before. You know, the, most, the most amazing thing, in fact, one of the reasons that people historically or historically, reject the the truth of the book of Jonah is not the great fish in chapter two, but it's what happens in chapter three that seems so unbelievable that that couldn't possibly have happened. But maybe it could. You've heard the story before. It's hard for me to tell it again and actually have you hear. So I thought I would ask somebody else as help. I would get somebody else to come along and help me to tell this story, somebody who was in the middle of it, somebody who saw these things unfold and could feel God's hand at work. really amazing for me to be able to be here with you today. Who would have thought? Who would have thought that I would be someone who could come to you and to talk to you about the mercy of God? To step back just a little bit, let me introduce myself. My my name is Nabu Mukin Apli. I was the governor of Nineveh when it all happened. I was the governor of the city of Nineveh under our great king of Assyria Ashurdan the 3rd. And Nineveh was one of the greatest cities of our empire. It was a a huge and magnificent city. It was a city that if somebody came and visited, they would stay a while. There was a protocol. You paid attention to Nineveh because of who we were. We had 100-foot walls. And at the top of those walls, you could run chariots along the top of those walls, three chariots abreast. Nineveh was huge. We were somebody in our day. We weren't the capital of Assyria, of the whole empire yet. That would happen 40 years later, but but already the king often would make his residence within our great city of Nineveh. Now, there's so much I could say about Assyria as a whole. We have a a vast history stretching back 4,500 years, but just to sort of guard our time this morning, I'll, I'll, I was told I didn't have that much time, so I need to compress a little bit. and try. I'll just focus on the years of our king, the years of the III. And so in the year Ashurdan came to, came to the throne, it, it, it wasn't as good of a time in Assyria as it had been before. Some would say, we would not put it this way, but some would say that, that Assyria had declined a little bit. But we were still the power player on the stage. We were still the bully instead of the bullied. We liked it that way. But his first seven years of his reign were actually good years by Assyrian standard. For the first seven years that Ashurdan was king, we went out and, and attacked our surrounding neighbors six of those seven years. Those were good years by Assyrian standards. See, that's, that's what the Assyrians would do. You see, uh, in the wintertime, the king and the nobles, they would get together and they would say, well, who shall we loot and pillage this year? And then in the spring, when it was time for the kings and the armies to go out to war, then the king would lead his armies off into battle and they would bring back spoils and slaves for the whole city to enjoy. Those were good days. But those, those seven good years were then followed by seven not so, seven bad years in fact for instance year 8 comes and and right out of the spring there is a, a a famine the crops have not come there's a pestilence that is affecting people and animals in fact our army is so weakened by the disease that is raging across our city that the armies don't go out that year or even the next now, that's a problem in Assyria because where are we going to get more loot and more slaves from? Now, the third year of this second seven-year cycle, in year number three, as we're recovering from this, this plague that had weakened us, it seemed like some, some had taken advantage of the king and the army's weakened position. And over in the capital city of Ashur. There, some of the military leaders in the citadel, in the midst of the city, they rebelled against our king and they, they, they tried to take over. Now, this is serious. It took us two years to put down that rebellion. Two more years that our armies could not be going out because we had to guard from within. Now, you say, well, that, that could have been. That could have been just disloyal opportunists, taking advantage of the weakness of the army and the weakness of a king and trying to seize the moment for themselves. But it was more than that. Do you know how I know? Because that same year, the same year as the uprising, there was a solar eclipse. The, in the middle of the day, the sky, the sky grew dark like night all over Nineveh. And this was about Nineveh. You know how we know? Because other places further away, other places in the reaches of our empire, their messengers told us it didn't happen there. It didn't get dark in the middle of the day there. It was just where we were. What is that? This is a sign in the heavens. Now, we Assyrians, we're not superstitious people. But we know when there's a sign in the heavens like that, that the gods are telling us something. The gods are not happy with us. In fact, this has been in our history. We have known these things. That We have lists on our tablets of the kind of things. So we go to the, to the shelf and we pull out the clay tablet that has the list of the things that could happen when, a, when the sun is darkened in the middle of the day. And these are the kind of things that it said. It says that when that happens, the king might be deposed and a worthless fellow will take his throne. Well, that's what they tried to do. It says that the king might just die. And without the king, well, our our crops and and our beasts will suffer and there will be floods and famine in the land. It said that a god might be so angry with us that he's going to kill the king. And then fire will rage all across our land. It said that it might be that even the walls of our city would just fall down and collapse. And there we would be vulnerable for our enemies. This has happened in major cities in the world before. In the annals of the past, we read about it. Walls could just collapse and then the city is vulnerable to attack. And what would we do then? You know... Any of those possibilities, as we read the tablets, any of those possibilities, they're not good for the king. In fact, sometimes a king would would try to preserve himself by stepping down from his throne and putting in a substitute king until a time when it seemed that the danger had passed and times were better again. So we had these signs. We knew that there was something about this from God. And then, those seven bad years continue. There's another uprising in the city of Arapa, And then there's another uprising in the city of Guzon. In the middle of this, there's more famine and plague. And then, there's this great earthquake that shakes our foundations. We wondered, is that the time when our great wall is going to collapse? Obviously, the gods are against us. Obviously, something is being communicated to us. And then, in the midst of all that, after those seven years when nothing has been like it's supposed to be in Nineveh, after those seven years, we get a very peculiar visitor. His name was Jonah. Now, Jonah came from the north of Israel. We know where Israel is. We had some nice raids there a few kings back. In fact, Israel's is the kind of place that we think Assyrians might like to go again someday. But Israel is a long ways away. It's, about, it's more than 700 miles as the army travels. So it would have taken him maybe three weeks to get here. What is he doing here? Why has he come to us? Well, this Jonah, when he arrives at our city gate, he says, I have a message from God for Nineveh. So we said, you have a message from God. Well, which God do you have a message from? Is it the, god of, is it the, is it the goddess Ishtar of love and war here in Nineveh? <coughs> is it perhaps the god Nabu, the god of word and wisdom? Maybe it's, maybe it's the god Ansar of Asher. Maybe it's Bel of Babylon. Or as we looked at him a little more closely, we said, maybe it's Tiamut, the sea goddess, At any rate, maybe, maybe, maybe it's just that faraway God from faraway Israel who would obviously be irrelevant to us. Well, Jonah surprises us when he says he does not come in the name of a God of here or there. He does not come in the name of a God of this or that. He said he comes in the name of the God. Not a God, but the God. The God who made the sea and dry land. The God who made the people and the animals. And he said all these other pretender gods, they are just empty nothings in comparison. Well, as proud Assyrians, we could have just brushed that aside. We could have just dismissed him out of of hand and had nothing more to do with him. More likely... Who would have strung him up and peeled off his skin? Who does he think he is? Doesn't he know who he's talking to? And yet, the last seven years we've had, the plagues and the pestilence, the, the uprisings, the darkening of the sun, more troubles in the land and the earth itself shaking, Obviously, there's something going on. Obviously, these are signs from the heavens. These are signs from God or somebody. And so, we want to know, Jonah, what is your message from God? And Jonah says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. That lines up with our expectations. That's the kind of thing the tablets told us about. 40 more days, he says, and Nineveh will be overturned, will be turned upside down. Now, we could have scoffed at that. We could have thrown the bum out. We are the invincible Assyrians. This is great Nineveh. Have you not seen our wall? Have you not seen our chariots? Have you not heard of our army? Who would dare to overthrow? And yet, these last years, We've learned that we cannot control the sun and the sky. We cannot control the rains or the climate. You know, when you have revolts and all these kinds of troubles around you, when you go through great troubles, one of the things you realize is you're not as strong as you thought you were. Maybe we need to listen to what this messenger of God has to say. In 40 more days, Nineveh. Will be overturned. As Jonah is traveling through the city, he's saying the same thing that that the God that everyone is accountable to, this God has called us before his throne for judgment. God is not pleased. God is not impressed with who we have been. We thought we were great. We are Nineveh. God says we are guilty. We thought to ourselves, We are the ones who enslave other peoples, but now we have been said we will be enslaved. We are the ones to abuse, but now we will be abused. We are the ones who have murdered and robbed and tortured and captured, but now the predators are going to become the prey. What can you do when God himself stands against you? Jonah walks through the city warning the people. The people hear and they're hearing his message and they're believing. The word races ahead of him even before he can travel through the city. The word races ahead of him like lightning that stretches from the east to the west. And people are responding one after another. Is there any way of escape? What can we do? How can we escape this judgment and, and, and get mercy? What if we all cried out to this God? Would he hear us? What if we agree with him that we have been evil and we ask for his grace? Is it possible that this God could forgive us? Is it possible that he would relent, that he would turn from the judgment which he has decreed is coming upon us? Poor and rich, slave and free, we're hearing and believing God's messenger. Actually, we're hearing, we're believing the message that comes through him from God himself. We're believing the word of God. We respond in the only way we know how. We have shamed others, so now we shame ourselves. We 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 humble ourselves. We have enjoyed. We have partied. We have we have enjoyed our wealth at others' expense. We have brought goods back and and consumed them for ourselves. And so now we deny ourselves in fasting. We put away the food and the drink that we have enjoyed and will enjoy it no more, because we want God to see us humbled before Him, agreeing with Him concerning our guilt. We were. We were proud, now we are needy. We have partied and celebrated, so we will fast. We we want to gen- demonstrate a genuine turning, and the only way we know we can do that, we can say words, 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 but we must step into it somehow. With what God sees us do, our nice clothes we lay aside, and we put on the rags of the poor, of the poor clothes made from sackcloth or it's it's rough it's coarse it's ugly it's itchy and yet we stand before God as a needy poor spiritually poor people as the word spreads through the city even the king himself as he hears even before Jonah comes before him for an audience the king and his nobles they hear this news and the king steps down steps down from his throne and he lays aside his royal robes and he, he puts on himself as well, sackcloth. And he, leaving his throne, he sets down in a pile of ashes that have been brought in. It's very symbolic, I know, but we're agreeing with God here. We're saying that according to God's word, all that would be left of our rule and empire would be rubble and ashes. And so that's where we sit. We set ourselves in God's judgment against us asking for his mercy. We are worthy of his judgment. Would God perhaps spare us? Could God forgive us? Is there any way to escape this judgment that hangs over the city like a cloud of doom, just hanging there like the smoke from cooking fires hangs and settles in the winter months? The king and his nobles issue a decree. Saying that everybody believing God's word then must turn from our evil ways and everyone in the city must join the fast and everyone must put on sackcloth, the the clothing of the poorest of the poor. We are poor peasants, no longer citizens of a ruling city. We are spiritually poor before God and we need to step into that. The king says that even the children must join the fast and wear sackcloth. Even our animals will not be given food or water. Even our animals will be covered in sackcloth, that they too will be uncomfortable. And the king says, let a great cry go up from our city that perhaps God in heaven would hear us. Let even our animals bellow and cry out in their discomfort. Let us make such a racket in Nineveh that God will know that God would hear us, that God would see us. Let us make such a demonstration of our poverty, of our nothingness, of our need for God's mercy, that maybe if not for us, maybe just for the animals that are suffering, God would hear our cries, and God would relent, and God would give mercy. We wailed, and we waited Two days passed when, when Jonah finished his, his preaching on his third day, and then we continued to wait. We again took food and water, but continued to wait in sackcloth and in ashes, calling out to God, asking for his mercy, waiting to see if God would hear us. And the weeks passed, and the 40 days came. And went. God did relent. God did turn from the evil that he had decreed against us. And God spared us. God poured out his mercy on on us. On us. God heard us and God was merciful to us. We believed it, but we couldn't believe it. Nineveh was changed. Nineveh wasn't overturned. Or maybe it was. In fact, Nineveh was turned upside down. Or maybe right side up. We were no longer who we were. You know, for the last three years, there has been peace in our land. For the last three years, we have not gone out and raided our neighbors, stealing and pillaging. No, we've been instead content and and worked with our hands and, and provided for our needs. God has changed us. God has given us a new leaf on life. Nineveh is changed. I was changed. You knew me before as Nabu Mukina Apli, honoring our God Nabu. Yeah, we can lay Nabu aside. Please know me as your humble servant, Mukina Apli. God has changed everything. No longer bound by sin and darkness, living in the light of God's goodness. God has given us freedom. We're overwhelmed. How did this happen? Why has God done this? Maybe some would say it's because of our diligent calls that we diligently fasted and prayed and grieved and put on sackcloth before him. And God was impressed with our late effort. No, it wasn't because of us. We didn't do this. God did this. You know, we begin to realize that God got us ready. For seven years, God was getting us ready for the messenger he would send to us. God opened our ears so we could hear. And God brought this messenger. Now, now, who would have ever thought that a prophet of Israel would dare to or ever want to come to Nineveh? And yet somehow, we don't know how, but somehow God brought his messenger to us. God did that. God wanted to be merciful. God wanted to save us. And and God went to a lot of trouble to make it happen. Do you see that? Do you you hear that in my story? All that God was doing all along the way that he would be able to pour out his mercy upon us, that we could see it, that we could believe him for it. You know, something interesting that Jonah said along the way, he said, you know, I, I told you before that Nineveh was a great city, and so we thought it was. But what we didn't know was what Jonah said. His words particularly were that Nineveh was a great or a significant city to God. Wow. We didn't know God at all. And yet God knew us. We mattered to him. God measured us and he poured out his mercy upon us. We mattered to God. Now maybe you're something like me. Maybe you too would have thought that whatever you're going to get out of life in the world, you're going to have to get for yourself. You can do it your way. You can do it on your team, your terms, because it's really up to you. Nobody else can tell you what to do after all, right? Because you're you. We're Nineveh. But you know what? I realized along the way that though we didn't know we mattered to God, we did that God took notice of us. You might think that, yeah, God is good to some people. God works for some people. God cares for God blesses some people. But not me. I'm on my own. I don't matter to God. That's what we would have thought. And yet, look what God has done for us. Look how God spared us. I'm here to tell you today that God does take an interest in you. God does know you. God God cares about you. God would pour out his mercy upon you if only you'll believe him for it. Do you know what scares me? It doesn't scare me that God would not be merciful. It doesn't scare me that God would not know. It doesn't scare me that God would not care. What scares me is that we might not remember. That one day we would forget what a great day. This has been. That easily as time goes by, we would forget God's mercy. We would forget this new life that we would have been given. And you would say, well, how could you forget? How could you possibly forget such a great move that God has done within your midst, on your behalf? History is full of men who have forgotten the goodness and the mercy of God. What if another king should arise over over Assyria and Nineveh that does not remember what it is that God has done? I want my Nineveh. I want my people to be a sign I want us to be a sign and a testimony to people in other places and in other times. I want people to learn from us that when God speaks and God warns them to listen to God, hear his word, don't delay, that God is a God of mercy. And those who call out to him, he will rescue. That we can believe God for his mercy. I want us to be an example, to be ready For God's mercy because God is so ready to save anyone who would call upon us. I want our people in years ahead to people in other places and other lands. I want Nineveh to be a testimony to them that when they hear a message from God, to believe him, to trust him because God is worthy of believing and trusting. And he will be ready to forgive. It was a dramatic time in Nineveh. It was, it was unbelievable what God did in a, in a very short period of time. And yet, within a relatively short period of time as well, within 20 years of those events, Assyria was again attacking Israel. They did visit. And you know why they came this time? Assyria attacked Israel because they were paid to do it by the southern kingdom, Judah. And Judah's king Ahaz chose instead to put his trust in the armies of Assyria to defeat Israel rather than trust the promise of God to preserve him. That promise coming to him from the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 7. So think about it. Assyria, trust in God's promise instead of their armies, and Nineveh was saved. And just within 20 years, God's own people will trust Nineveh's armies instead of God's promise. And then their own brothers are attacked because of it. You know, the choices we make, will we believe God, matter? The little things that we do. I think of something this week. Something came to me and I said, I, I, I could do that. And then I said, no. Nobody else was around. Nobody else was home. And I said, no, because that choice is where I will honor God or not honor God. That choice, what I do in those quiet moments when nobody else seemingly would know, but God knows. And my life is lived before him those are the choices in which we worship. That's where this new life God has given us. And when we do, when we trust him, that is where God will work. And that will overflow out of our lives to people around us in ways that we don't even realize and God will be at work in people around us, maybe for seven years in ways we don't know, and those that we are quite sure that nothing would happen there, that might be the very place, that might be the very one, this may be the very moment as unprepared and maybe unwilling as I am that God would use you and I for them, for God's mercy, forever. The book... Of Jonah tells us that we have no idea, we cannot imagine all that God will do, and he does it in the least likely places, and he does it through the least likely of us. Let's pray. Father, would you do that here? Father, would you pour out your mercy in ways that we don't expect? Would you do it in ways that use us, even as unwilling or unready as we are, use us in spite of ourselves, Lord, for the good and the rescue and the mercy and forgiveness toward others father would you would you take our willingness to serve in our community and 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 with children in vacation bible camp would you take the gifts that we would give in terms of the ministry of this church lord would you take them and use them and multiply them father we ask that every week because this is not merely what we do this is our worship that we ask you to glorify yourself in Father, we pray that even those prayer requests that are shared and written down on these cards, that as we lift together then our prayer to you, that you would hear, that you would answer, that you would heal, that you would give life, that you would give us freedom. Father, thank you for being our rescuer. Thank you for pursuing us in Jesus' name. Amen.